fiery love. And I have trouble giving him anything less than that. And I, I get lax at times. But, but uh, today he put a message on my heart about, I think, four or five weeks ago. And I could not get it together. Pastor John's amazing. See in here? There he is. He said last week that he had, he got, you know, he kind of puts his sermon together. He puts it all in a bowl and doesn't know if he gets it all organized or not. And I, I, I couldn't sleep and I don't like not sleeping. If I'm going to sit there and look at the ceiling in the middle of the night, I'm going to go out and pray or something. So I went out to pray. Instead of praying, I just preached for about 25, 35 minutes. So you know it's going to be a short one, right? And, um, but I couldn't remember what I preached other than the, than the, other than the, uh, the subject. So anyway, I've been seeking the Lord the last couple of weeks as pastor asked me to preach. And, and the Lord, um, Lord had on my heart for months to preach a sermon here if I ever had a chance. And I just never had time or a chance. I never even asked pastor if I could. And then finally, about two weeks before this one comes on my heart, about two weeks before that, all of a sudden that sermon gone. And I wanted to, I mean, if I could stay in the flesh, I would preach that today. But that was a good one. But anyway, we'll get this one instead. So that's the struggles of us pastors. <laughs> but I, I couldn't even get mine in the bowl, so I'm thinking he's pretty amazing. I, I couldn't get, you know, he got his in the bowl at least. Mine's everywhere. So I'm just going to go for it. Cheer me on, and I, maybe we can get into his presence and get a level of victory that we haven't had that we need. Um, so serious what the Lord spoke to me. I hope we don't have to get down in the dumps about it because it's serious. The Bible says show seriousness and integrity at all times, but it also says rejoice all the time. So we can be seriously joyful. Hallelujah, Lord God. I don't know, anybody here going in a through a trial? Just one. I just need one person. I just want to preach at least to one person. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Well, when you gave your life to Jesus, you jumped into a trial. When you put your faith in Jesus, you jumped into trial. When Peter saw Jesus walk in the water, he says, hey, have me come on out here. And he said, come on out. Well, his faith jumped him right into a trial. If you have faith, you're going to be in a trial. If you have not a trial, better check on your faith. Any faith will get you in a trial. And once you look at the wind and the waves, then the trial gets even worse. And he fell and he's screaming, Jesus, help me. Ephesians 6, 12 we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I don't want that to scare everybody, but it scares me anyway. I think about that. I get up in the morning and I think, okay, we fight against principalities and powers and the rulers of this dark world. And if it just would have said... We fight against little ants and little bugs and little pestery things and mice that come in the house and little demon minions. It wouldn't be so bad. But it says principalities and powers and demonic things in high places. Our, our war, our fight, our struggle is against something huge. Something very wise. Something that had a lot of wisdom before he got cast out of heaven. Let me read that quick to you. Have you read where the devil got cast out of heaven? There's a couple places. And uh, one of them's in uh, Ezekiel 28. One of them's in Isaiah. But I just want to read Ezekiel 28 to give you an idea of this guy so we, we know what's going on here. Okay, 28 verse, um, last part of 12, it says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You are a model of perfection. He's talking about the devil here. You were full of wisdom. We're fighting against this guy. You were full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorns you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. I don't know if that means he's wearing a necklace ankles and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if he's wearing it as a garment. I don't know if it was just part of him. But it says here he was very beautiful. He was very made up with beautiful things. He was very wise. He was perfect. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. 
In verse 16, the last part, it says, So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I want you to, I want to look back at that mount again. Um, you're in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, and then it says here, you're in the mount of God. And I, remember that word, in the mount of God. And I expelled you, O guardian cherub. He was an angel. From among the fiery stones, your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, and I made a spectacle of you before kings. It says here he was amongst fiery stones. I can only imagine how beautiful the mount of God is. I can only imagine the fiery and glowing beauty around his throne room, and the holiness, and the purity. And, you know, I, mean, I can only imagine how just awe-striking it is to see the throne of God. And there was Lucifer, they call him in Isaiah, Lucifer, the angel of light, the guardian cherub, the chief guardian cherub, worshiping God, and he decided he wanted to be greater than God. And so God threw him to the earth, and he somehow swept him, I don't know, by convincing them or just sweeping him with his tail, it says, and his tail swept a third of the angels with him, and they were all cast out of, de out of heaven. And so now we got this war going on, all part of God's plan to save us. The war actually helps us to be tested and, go, and, and be able to be proven true for our faith in God to go to heaven. Anyway, I just wanted that little bit of background before I go into Ephesians 6. We fight not against flesh and blood. The problem is, I think we've all memorized that verse, or at least part of that verse, and we get to a little ways down on it, and we don't quite get the rest of it memorized. We get all the way to we fight not. Three words. Anybody can remember three words? It doesn't take as long, so memorization becomes really fun. But if we practice that type of memorization, and that's all we have, and we don't have it in context, things can get really, really, really tough. It, would be, it says we fight not. That word can mean wrestle. It can mean fight. It can mean struggle. And it means all those things together. And if I was a wrestler, and I was, and I went out on the mat, and I sat down, and, I, and the opponent shook hands, and then he, we got done shaking hands, and I sat down on the mat, and I looked the other way, and I said, hey, coach, throw me an iPhone. i got to look something up. And... My opponent is ready to wrestle. When I gave my life to Jesus, my opponent was ready to wrestle. He's ready to destroy me. The Bible even talks about don't let a new guy become a preacher because he might get proud, fall under the same condemnation as the devil. He might go to hell just like the devil. So we got to be careful about our newborns and take care of them. But we're fighting against principalities and powers that are destroying our families, destroying people. And Jesus talked to me that day when I was, couldn't sleep. And it's, we fight not against flesh and blood. He says... We need to fight. If there's anything I want to say today, we need to fight. We need to fight. We need to figure out how to fight and get up and start fighting. Because if all we do is look the other way, there is no fight. And he wins. If all we do is sit down on the mat and take it easy, maybe he won't jump on us. But maybe he will. And maybe he'll choke us off. And I think that's what's happened to a lot of us as Christians. We thought we could just look down. And I don't mean to use iPhone necessarily. It could be anything you do. We thought we could just sit back, sit down, and ignore the devil. But the Bible makes it very clear there's a devil. There's a devil and there's demons and there's a spiritual war. And there's a way to fight it. It says, therefore, gird up your loins with the belt of truth, have a breastplate of righteousness, and you go through that shield of faith and all that different stuff. And I think the greatest thing, Pastor John said it last week, and I felt like I'm taking over from where he left off, I want to go on, but he says, wake up, rise from the dead. Cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Talking about how to put on the presence of Jesus. And I'm going right into that. We need to put on the presence of Jesus today. Because that is the only place that we're going to get rid of those temptations and those disappointments and those depressions and that emotional thing that's, that's just raking us back and forth inside of us. There are, and those situations with, people you love, you know, your, your worries and your concerns, how are we going to, how are we going to turn to battle? Well, first we're going to start by fighting. We fight not, but then it goes on to say, but we do fight. But the problem is we've got that verse backwards. We've been fighting flesh. We've been trying to do it our way. We, let me... Um, Our mind's going to say, somebody mess with 
us, you know, okay, we're going to pay them back. That's what our mind says. What's the Bible say? This is very important. You notice that in this trial, it, sp it speaks of the devil. Whenever there's a, so many times when there's a trial in the Bible, it speaks of the devil involved in it. But we, we just think it's a happenstance. It's not a happenstance. It's a demonic attack against you. It's not a happenstance. This thing's got to be turned around. It's got to be kicked out. It's got to be beat down. I don't like the devil. I do not like pain. And he's putting torment and pain into people's lives. And every time any preacher tells you, he must be thinking something different to me. But whenever the preacher tells you that the devil hasn't got no teeth, he's a roaring lion, and, and he walks about seeking whom he devour, but he doesn't have no teeth, that isn't what the Bible says. The Bible says he's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he devour. It doesn't say he's a roaring lion without teeth. The, the, the devil that I go up against got teeth. The devil that I got goes, goes up against puts pressure on my back and my head and my emotions and, and, and sometimes puts sickness on me. The devil and demons I go up against got teeth. They try to destroy my children. They try to pervert everything in my family. They try to be, pervert me from the truth. The devils that I go up against have no mercy. And I'm telling you, it's not, they're just not gumming me. They're just not sucking and trying to suck the life out of me. They're yanking and pulling and, and sticking their claws in and, and sticking their, uh, their fangs in and trying to pull my insides out. They have no mercy. They don't know what the word means. They want to destroy this church. They want to destroy this body. They want to destroy each individual person here. And they can sure well do it if we don't start fighting. When it says we fight not, a lot of times we've heard it preached, yeah, we don't fight against flesh and blood. But I think we forget to focus on the, the thing that we do fight. And therefore, all we do is remember, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to keep gritting my teeth and try not to fight against this situation. Well, here's what it says. It's, you know, my mind says, pay that guy back for what he did. Man, he deserves, I'm going to get him good. I'm going to get him when he least expects. Well, here's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 2.13. Forgive so Satan doesn't outwit us. When you forgive this man, this is verse 10, 2 Corinthians 2.10. When you forgive this man, I forgive him also. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit, so that Satan shall not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. So our mind says one thing. But if we'll do what our mind says, instead of getting into the weapons of our warfare, getting in the presence of God, finding a living lure, you know, I, I get words from the Lord. I, you know, here's an easy one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I could wake up every morning and say that, and you know what? The devil would still destroy me. He would still condemn me. He would still beat me up. Because that word has no power unless it's a fresh word from the Holy Spirit. And so you know what I've done? And, and it, whatever works for you, if you can say that every morning and that gets you and you're instantly blessed, I believe that could happen. But in my experience, that word, unless it's in the presence of God and lit up by the power of the Holy Ghost and anointed, it doesn't do you a bit of good. And so I worship and I pray in the Spirit and I get into His presence. And you know what the first word that comes? There is therefore now no condemnation for Mark Apple who is in Christ Jesus. For through Christ Jesus' law of the spirit of life has set Mark Apple free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah! But I get it in the power of the Holy Ghost. And at the end of part of, part, part of these verses that we don't read all the way down to, it says, and pray in the spirit. And praying in the spirit for all the saints. And praying in the spirit. What's it mean to pray in the spirit? I'll tell you what it means to pray in the spirit. In Corinthians it says, I will pray with my mind and I will pray with my spirit. So obviously Ephesians when it says, I pray in the spirit, isn't saying pray in the mind. It's saying praying in the spirit on all occasions. Take up all the weapons of your warfare. One of them is praying in the spirit and groaning in the spirit and crying in the spirit and letting the Holy Ghost shout through you. Hallelujah! You know what? I don't have to shout. You don't have to shout. You do not. Nobody has to shout here. Nobody has shouted. In the tents of the righteous are shouts of victory. No, nobody, the Bible doesn't demand that. I know it looks like it says that, but it doesn't say that. When the Bible said, I was the quietest little guy. I was on the back of the bus, and people were mean to me, and I sat on the back of the bus, and I was always a quiet kid. And I, I, I had no hope. And, and people made fun of me and stuff. I was quiet. But I tell you what, something happened. I, didn't even, I don't know how it happened. I do know what happened, but I don't know how it happened. But somehow I got saved. I said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And all of a sudden, I didn't even go to church yet. I was still going to the church that didn't know how to preach salvation. And I still didn't go to church yet. And something changed. And people said something's changed. And I did something changed. I didn't know the terminology was. I got saved. But I got saved. 
When I said, not my will, but your will be done, and something else happened, I got not bashful anymore. Hallelujah! But I'm bashful every day again until I get in his presence. I couldn't even come out. I would cower away from all of you right now if I hadn't prayed today. Every day I go for manna. Every day. There's a battle, and we fight not. Somebody pretty soon, when we get down in this sermon a little farther, you better say, yes, we do. How about you guys? I trained you. We fight not. Yes, we do. Now, that ain't what we, you know, teach them different things. They know how to respond. What did I, what did I always tell you guys in the Sunday school? Huh? You're going to hell. Oh, yeah, you're doing his will. They're not going to hell. They're doing his will. Those that do his will go to heaven. Those that don't, they're on the sand. Okay, so I try to tell them one thing, and I try to get them to tell me what the Scripture says. Hallelujah, Jesus. We fight not. As of now, we do. Why don't we fight? I don't know if I heard it in high school, college, or where, but somewhere along the line, I heard about Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce Indians. He was one of the last ones to get stuck on the reservation. But I always remembered it, the story they told about that. And so I looked it up to make sure I got it right if I told it today, and it just came, so here it is. But... uh He had like 800 people and maybe two to 300 warriors, and he had about 2,000 of the American military coming against him. And it got to the point where they were trying to steal too much of the land that they had made a treaty that belonged to Chief Joseph and his people, but found gold, so that's the end of that. It was up in the Oregon, Washington Territory. And so he's thinking, well, I can't beat these guys, but maybe I can outwit them. So they, when he got done almost outwitting them, they called him the Red Napoleon. And anyway, he started up here, and he went down this way and around this way and up this way and over this way. And I don't know if he had three, 400 people left, women, children, warriors, all together when it was done. But he lost little children. They lost women. They lost men. But they went 1,500 different things, different, 12 to 1,500 miles. They went 12 to 1,500 miles outsmarting 2,000 military men from the United States, and they had to take their women and children with them. And it was really devastating, and that's the problem with us. Some of us have been pretty fired up. We've been pretty gung-ho for Jesus. And life starts pulling us away from him. Jobs and children, responsibilities, so many things begin to pull us away from being able to stay in the midst of the victory where we can keep outwitting the devil. And so instead of outwitting the devil, he's been outwitting us, and we got to come together somehow and huddle. More often, the Bible says, when the end times are here, which they are, it says come to church as often as you can. And we get so completely... Like this, we just, can't, we just can't do it. So we quit fighting. We fight just enough to stay alive. And we don't really look that alive. If you see a real spiritual person, you'll know when they're alive. You'll see different levels of life in each and every one of us. And Chief Joseph was finally captured, and he said, you know, we've lost women and children. Some of them have run up into the hills, and we don't even know if they're still alive. They probably froze to death. They don't really have the blankets they need and fires they need, and... And the guy that, his big long name, Tukukulahuchikak, or something like that, he, he's dead. He must have been an important guy. He's dead. And he said the, the guy that, that took care of the younger men, maybe the 20s to 30s, the younger men, and, and was helping them battle, he's dead. He says, he says my heart's broken. I'm, he, he says, I, I just want to tell you, chiefs, I said, we're from where the sun stands right here. From from where the sun is right now, I will fight no more forever. And we didn't say that out loud about our spiritual life and circumstance, but we've pretty much been there, amen? And God don't want us there no more. He wants us to rise up and believe that he'll really help us walk on water. We fight not. I'll fight no more forever. I went through a situation. I used to pastor a little bit in Kansas. And... and, um, uh, We've seen, we seen amazing things. 
The church never prospered the way uh, you might think a church really would look if it was burgeoning and doing something, but, but people got saved. I just say it quick so I can go on, but the town drunk, one guy they called Otis got saved. Another guy that was a town, the, the other total town drunk got saved. Later on, I met his sister unknowingly. She goes, oh, you're the guy that helped my brother. I had no idea, you know, that I had even made an impact there, but she remembered the guy that helped her brother get saved. And uh, another guy had a hole in his belly from a bar fight, and he got saved. And, and um, just stuff like that, but it was all underground. Nobody's seen that kind of stuff happening, really, because we were just a teeny-leeny little church just trying to win individuals. But um, I got to the point, our church went like that, up, down, up, down, up, down. The most we ever had, I think we counted one Easter Sunday, was 53. <laughs> but probably the least was like eight. And, um, and it, we had some people that had been there a long time, and they had chased every, I didn't know this, I tried hard, I don't know how much I should say, but I tried hard not to know anything about that church when I came, because I didn't want to react in the flesh. I wanted to just say, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with that? What do you want me to do with that? And uh, there were some certain individuals there, after it was all said and done, and they finally moved on, they had to leave. Through a total breaking of the Red Sea, opening of God. After that, I met with the, the big presbyters and superintendent and everybody and they go well you know he pushed everybody out for the last 18 years most pastors only last maybe an average of one and a half two years there's like six to eight pastors that have been pushed out of there because of that family. so we went through that we made it <laughs> we went through that struggle and we made it we, we passed that test and then all of a sudden these people that had been used by God big time and some people that I remember this one guy he said yeah I usually used to pray eight hours a day but I don't anymore and I want to get back with God so we had all those kind of, those type of people were starting to come to our church, and they loved the move of the Holy Ghost. They loved just seeing and feeling, and some of them would, you know, just laughing in the Spirit. They literally got touched by the Holy Spirit. But what I really felt happened, because we lost them. So we felt like we went through two churches right there, but we lost them. And I felt like the reason we lost them is they wanted to hold on to their sin. Because I love the freedom of the Holy Ghost. But I cannot take the freedom of the Holy Ghost at the expense of holiness. And so I preached it both. So those kind of people wouldn't last very long, but that was our second church. And our third church was getting kind of more like the people I just told you about. We'd, we'd bring them to the Lord, and they'd come in, and we'd had no money coming into church because those kind of people didn't have no money. And, uh, and, um, but this one particular lady come in, and she just blessed us, and she was a prophetess. And I thought, wow, in my youth, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and I let her come in and take more control than she should. And, and then one day... Um, she started turning individuals against me and against my family, people that we had brought to the Lord. And it took everything out of my wife and I. We had nothing left. I can remember going out and shutting the gate because I was doing something out by a farm one day. And I shut the gate and I said, I will fight no more forever. Well, that's lasted too long, so here I am. <laughs> but I tell you what, I'm trying to get back on my feet. I really don't feel like I've ever went back to the fight that I was fighting back then on the front lines. But look out, because um, with God's help, I will continue to be a threat to the enemy and save people from destruction. That's what we're all about, every one of us. So we can do it our way, not forgive, hold on to these grudges, or we can run to the altar. And in that particular instance, with that particular lady, because she was used by the power of God, well, so was Samson, and he ended up in a bad way. I don't know where she is today. But it hurt so bad. And one day I was at another person's church, and I went up to the altar, and I just began to, I didn't feel right, because I don't like to say this because it's wrong to say it, but I, I said it because I said, Lord, I'm just trying to confess what I really feel. Because I, was, because I had forgiven her. I said, I forgive her. In my prayer times, I go, I forgive her. You know, I would just, I'd say it loud and clear because it's like, I'm not holding on to that. And it was hard, and something really hadn't somehow broke through and hadn't found healing and forgiveness yet. And I was at the altar, and I just started saying, God, I hate her. Instead of saying, I forgive her, I just said, I hate her. I was just trying to confess my sin. I just hate her, Lord. I just hate her. And I just started bawling. And I've never before since that had that kind of reaction in the Holy Spirit. But I would just be heaving. I'd go, <sighs> and every time I, 
there would just be healing. And man, today she could come up here. She may be out there. She'd come right up to me and there'd be nothing but glowing love for that woman. We fight not against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers and they about had me. But at the altar I got free. That's good stuff. God is so good. Your mind will say, keep the extra money that you knew you shouldn't have got. The Bible will say, do unto others what you have them do to you. We got to get in the fight. This is using scripture. This is, I'm talking to you earlier about getting in the spirit before you use scripture sometime. Sometimes you ain't got time to get in the spirit. Hopefully you got in the spirit. Then the word will come in the spirit later in the day when you really need it. God wants us to know it's not just a normal, physical, emotional, happenstance problem. That's the big thing I want to get across to us today, is it's not just happenstance you're going through. It's not just, oh, it's just ha all these bad things happen to me. Yeah, they do, but it's not just happenstance. It's happened because we got an enemy and you said yes to Jesus. Now, you got to decide if that was a mistake or not. Was that a mistake? No! Was that a victory? Yes. Was that the right thing to do? Amen. So get out of my face, devil. So it's real. He's, the, the enemy's big. The enemy's hard to mess with. One of the big things we do, and we're talking about that condemnation thing. I learned many more sermons before I could get that all explained. But you're feeling condemned. Well, the Bible says put on the breastplate of righteousness. No, no, no. I don't have to work my way into his love and approval and forgiveness. Well, I got to get right. I got to do a little better before, he, before I can go in his presence. Now, you better get in his presence right now. You can't do this stuff out here where the devil's beating you up. You need to go into the mountain of the Lord without cleaning up. He'll clean you up. Go into the mountain. Of, where does the devil not want you? Was he not on the mountain of the Lord? Was he not right there in the awesome presence of God? Does he not want with everything in him, every tooth, nail, and, and, and fang, he wants to, to just destroy you? And if he sees you running into the throne room, he's going to at least try to grab your heel and pull you back out. Get serious about your time with Jesus. Get in his presence and get relief every morning, every day, all the time. Get with Jesus. Get in his presence. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, and don't make provision for the flesh. You have no option but to make provision for the flesh if you don't get in his presence. Talking a lot about the devil, but don't forget the Bible says, Fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you at the right hand of my righteousness. I will take care of you. When all hell is breaking loose, and I might read this verse later, but it's coming now. So uh, let him that walks in the dark who has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. If you're walking in the dark, there's no answers. There's nothing. Trust in the name of the Lord. Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on your God. We need mercy. We need the presence of the Lord. I'm going to do everything I can to preach you right into the presence of God today. Yeah, hallelujah. And you're helping me to stay in that place too. Hallelujah. Thank you. You know, I realize maybe something's not of the devil, but we're way tilted the other way. Let's say you get in a car wreck. Let's say you weren't looking at your iPhone. You weren't looking at Facebook. You didn't get distracted and see, woohoo, over there. It wasn't the devil distracting you. It was just you were just concentrating and somehow you got in a car wreck. Deer ran out. It wasn't the devil. The devil don't mess with deer, right? Well, he did in Job's time. Anyway, the Bible says he killed a whole bunch of stuff. So, but let's say it's not. You know, and I, I, I don't want us to fear that everything's the devil every time something happens. I don't worry about that. But I want us to know that we're fighting against the enemy. But let's say none of that happened. I'll tell you the ensuing trial, like if you broke your leg during that wreck. The ensuing trial, the devil will try to make you doubt so you can't be healed. He'll try to make you get mad at God because you lost a leg. It may not be that anything, the devil had anything to do that, but I'm telling you what, he'll take advantage. You ever hear some of the politicians, never, never let a good disaster go to waste. Well, that's the devil. That's straight out of the mouth of the devil. And he'll get involved 
if something did happen that wasn't of him. Okay, I don't want to get redundant, but I'm going to say a couple of scriptures here. Uh, Hebrews 2.18, I just want to see, I want you to see two, two places where the trial and the devil, maybe three or four by the time we're done here, the trial and the devil came together. 2.14, we'll start there. It says, the children, since the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself also became flesh and blood in order to save them from death. That through his death he would destroy him that had the power of death, that's the devil, and restore those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Okay, so there right there you can see a fear and a devil. But as you keep going here, in verse 18 it says, for in that he himself suffered being tempted, he's able to succor those who are being tempted. So you see a trial here. He suffered being tempted, and right before that he's talking about the devil and, and destroying the enemy and getting an upper hand on him. So I want you to see in these verses that I'm showing you right now is that there's a trial, there's a devil, and there's a fixed victory on Jesus. And I say fixed because it says here in the chapter 3, verse 1, all in the same context of the last verse of chapter 2, it says, therefore, holy brothers. Everybody say, holy brothers. That's talking to you guys. Holy brothers. Holy brothers. See, the fight is in the mind. I'm not holy. Yes, you are. I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm holy. He's my holiness. He's my righteousness. That makes me holy. That makes me righteous. He's my light, but the Bible says we're the light of the world. He's my light, but I'm the light. And if we don't get that rowdy against the devil and say things that don't make sense to the flesh, we may not ever win. We've got to go with what the Word says. It says, brothers, holy brothers and holy sisters who share in the heavenly calling. It's a high calling. We get to be one with, our, with God Almighty, the creator of everything. It says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Therefore, because of this suffering, because of this struggle, fix your eyes, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix means to set in concrete. Your thoughts in this word. Set your thoughts on Jesus is what it says. Set your thoughts on Jesus. Set concrete, cement them in Jesus because the verse before that says, for in that he himself suffered being tempted, he's able to succor those that are being tempted. The problem is when we get tempted, we have gone so much with the culture that we don't even realize we were tempted. We just go ahead and flow with it. How many of you are suffering against temptation? How many are you agonizing against temptation? Well, he can't help you if you don't stop to suffer, if you don't stop to try to stop, if you don't stop to get, you just flow in the sin. Shut it off if you ain't supposed to watch it. If your flesh is taking part of taking part in sin that you're watching or is tempted by stuff you're watching, shut it off. And if that doesn't work, say, Jesus, I don't want to shut it off. Help me shut it off. Get a little bit serious. It's pretty serious. He's trying to tear you down. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to mess you up. He's trying to keep you from helping those around you. He's trying to mess up your family. If you're not strong, how's your family going to get strong? Especially younger couples and people and just everybody, not just younger, but just you got a better chance because you're younger. You can start now to get to fighting. So it says, fix your thoughts on Jesus in this, all, all this suffering. Take a real good hard look at Jesus. The, MS, the messenger Bible says, take a real good hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe. He was faithful in everything God gave him to do. Abraham, I'm kind of jumping here, jumping to almost another subject in some ways. Abraham heard the voice of God. God said, sacrifice your son Isaac. It made no sense to the mind, but Abraham did what God said. And you know what? His son was saved, and so was he, and so was everybody that's in that lineage, including us. But there was a trial. I, I dare say that the devil's in on it. But I know on this, on, on John the Baptist, he said, I must increase and he must decrease. There was a trial. Jesus increases when there's a trial. We decrease. Paul said, I die daily. 
I'm crucified with Christ, he said in another place. There's a trial. Paul knew what he was fighting because he wrote these scriptures I'm telling you about. Now, Job, I want to tell you just a little about Job. Job was faithful. Now, it said in that verse I just read, I, I realize I didn't pull that out too good, but in that verse I just read, it said, fix your eyes on the Jesus, the centerpiece of everything that we have. Fix your eyes on him. He was faithful in all that God had him do. God has things for us to do. It is a compliment when he lets you go into another trial. When Jesus went into the desert, it was before his real ministry started. He had ministry before that, obviously. It says he was always sitting with the elders talking to him. Even at 12 years old, they're talking and ministering to each other. But when he got into his power ministry, when he got into the place where he could set people free, he was drawn into the desert. It said he was driven, he was led. It almost has the wording of he was forced by the Holy Spirit to go into the desert. And if you're in a trial right now, you can be defeated in the desert, but that ain't why you're in the desert. You're in the desert to beat that thing so he can put you on the level of ministry that he wants you to be in. Yay. How would, wouldn't that be neat if all of a sudden you had a word for somebody and set them free? But because you didn't go through the desert, you never got to operate in that? Or if you did try to operate in that, you were destroyed because the desert is what would have built you and made you and helped you and would have been your master's degree in the Holy Ghost and fire. I've learned so much more in the desert than I did at Bible school, I'm telling you. So Job, he's out there, he's a nice guy. God said this. God said he's blameless. He's without fault. There's nobody like him. And Satan and the angels, they came and presented themselves before the Lord one day. You can read this sometime, first two chapters of Job. They presented themselves before the Lord. And the Lord noticed Satan was there. I don't know how he noticed a guy like that. But he noticed he was there. And he, he said, well, where would you come from? He says, well, I've been prowling. I've been patrolling or prowling. Depends on the version you look at. And I, let me use the word roaming. Because in Peter, it says he roams about like a roaring lion. Way back in Job, he's already roaming about. And Peter just brings it out again. But he's roaming about going to and fro throughout the earth to see who he can destroy. Now, he didn't use the words to see who he can destroy, but he obviously in his conversation with God, he was looking for somebody to destroy. Because, and God says, well, have you considered Job? He's perfect, he's blameless, he doesn't like evil, he pushes it aside. And Job said, yeah, that's for nothing. You take away everything you've ever given him, and he will curse you to your face. Anybody ever feel like cursing God? I have been a long time but I have I can remember I don't know if I was saved yet or not but I knew enough not to curse him but I was tempted and I was running across the, the pasture or something and I remember there's all kinds of pain in my back that day as there was this last two weeks but uh last four weeks now but um I didn't curse him but the devil is trying to get you to curse God he's trying to get you to curse one another and and he says well you take everything away and God said okay you don't touch him you can take everything away He's a good guy. So the devil went out and took everything away. God was right. The devil was wrong. And uh, one guy comes up. I mean, think if this happened to you all on the same day. You've had things like this happen, but not quite this bad. But you, we all know when it all rolls over, the steamroller comes. We've had that happen. Hang on to your integrity. Um, 7,000 7, sheep. One guy comes and he says, Fire came out of heaven, burned them up. All the farmhands are dead and the sheep are dead. Another guy, another guy comes while he's still talking. He says, 3,000 camels. Uh, the Chaldeans, they came, they stole them, and they killed all the farmhands. While he's talking, another guy comes and said, Hey, Job, I'm sorry, but all your donkeys and all your, all your oxen, they're dead, and all the farmhands are dead. That's, and the devil did that. The devil's in some of these trials. Lots of them. And then the last thing, this guy's still talking, comes in. Kids were partying. Kids shouldn't party, not in the wrong way anyway. The kids were partying. And uh, four winds came from four different sides of that house, smashed that thing down, and everybody died. The only thing they got left that we know of is, that I know of, is his wife and Job. They're the only two that made it. And I think his wife was a little bit more flimsy in her faith because of what she said a little bit later. But Job said, Joby shaved his head off and started worshiping. And humbled himself, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll go, and I'll go back. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. To 
to God be praised. That's what he said. God be praised. God be praised. Prove the devil wrong. Prove the devil wrong. Will you guys prove the devil wrong? When you're going through these trials, will you fight against the doubts and the fears and the lies and prove the devil wrong? Because he's going to have to leave. He's going to have to leave. He always has to leave when you stand. And then we'll show you that in a, in a scripture in just a little bit. But he leaves when you stand. Okay, so he, another day he comes up there. Same kind of conversation. He says, where have you been? He says, I've been roaming about throughout the earth. I happen to mess with Job a little bit. And, uh, and, uh, and God says, see, man of integrity. And Satan says, nah, you touch skin for skin. You touch his skin. You, you take his life away. You, you beat him up, and he won't serve you. Well, you know God, how God, how, can you imagine the, the love Job had for God? He had 7,000 sheep, 7, sheep 3,000 camels, 1,000, well, 500 oxen, yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and I don't know if I said all, and a whole bunch of farmhands. And in all that time, you know what he was doing? He said every, every time his, peop, his kids would have a party or go to each other's house, he would be prayer sacrificed just in case they sinned in their heart to curse God. What was the devil trying to get Job to do? Curse God. And what was Job's concern? Is that his kids might curse God by something, by their activities, by what they do, what they say. So he'd prepare a sacrifice every time they're at a party. And he'd want to make sure they're covered by the sacrifice. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so he'd make sure of that. He's just a good guy. How do you focus on God that strong when you've got 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 donkeys, and 500 yoke of oxen? That guy was focused. He had his thoughts cemented in on Jesus. That's how the Bible tells us to clothe ourselves. That's how the Bible says to get through the trial. And that's one of the ways we fight. Anyway, so he says, skin for skin. And uh, God says, okay, do what you want. That guy was hurting. Job was hurting. It says that he was scraping himself from top of his head. There was boils to the tip of his feet. He's scraping himself. He is, his three friends heard about him, really, really, really nice friends. And isn't this how friends do? Now, I don't like the friends that give you license to sin, but I don't like the friends that condemn you either. Well, these three guys, they come there. It's, it's kind of a bad situation. Because for seven days and seven nights, they said not one word because of the deep pain and grief that he was going through. It said they just sat there for seven days and seven nights. Nobody could say a word. The pain and the grief was that deep. Job's going through a trial. But if he'll stand, he's going to come out the other side. If he'll stand, he did real good. I don't know, he did something wrong, but it wasn't as bad as his friends. And his friends says, well, the reason you got all this going, you obviously got sin in your life. That's what they said. <laughs> you know what happened at the end, about chapter 40 or somewhere in there? God said, go get your friend. You pray for your friends. I'm having, I think it was them, they had to go get their own sacrifices. You guys get sacrifices, Job will pray for you. When Job prays for her, I'll restore you. But I ain't mad. I'm, I'm not happy with what you said. What you said is not right. And then he said to Job, he says, but what, what you said was right about me. But he also gave Job a little sermonette. Pretty long one, actually. He was a little bit upset with Job, but Job did nothing compared to what they did. The worst Job did is say, I don't think it does any good to serve God. I think he said, that's pretty much what I can find anyway. But I could be wrong, but that's the best I can get out of it. That doesn't seem to help a lot to serve God. And God wasn't happy with that. He says, you don't know what you're talking about, Job. Gave him a long old three-chapter sermon, I think it was. And I, said, and I said all that to say this. There's a devil in the trial. You're not just... It's just not happenstance, folks. God is telling me to tell you to fight. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. I don't know how that's going to play out in your life. But if you don't fight, you're going to die. If you don't fight, you'll be destroyed. You might get in another situation that looks pretty decent, but you will never be able to advance into the... You will never be able to advance into where God wants you as a minister. We're all ministers. It's so clear in Ephesians. It's it chapter 4. Teach them to do the ministry. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, teach the people to do the works of ministry. God cares about his people, and if you can't get through the trial, you can't help them. And if you don't fight, you can't get through the trial. Three things in this deal with Job. There's a devil, there's a trial, 
and there's a victory through focus on Jesus. He said at the end of his life, at the end of his life, not at the end of his life, but after the trial, this is over. I don't know that it lasted three months, three weeks. We know it lasted at least a week. Well, however long it lasted, at the end of that trial, it said he got 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 head of this and 1,000 head of that. And it said he got seven more sons and he got three daughters, which were the most beautiful in the land. And one of them's name was Keziah. <laughs> Where did I get that name? And it was me. It wasn't my wife. I, I found that name. <laughs> Focus on Jesus. And what did he get? He got double the blessing at the end. God is not just going to put you through a trial. He's going to put you into... I wish I could go through the whole book of Job. We ought to study that someday. But just the things and how Job was for people. And he helped him before and after his trial, he helped him even more. He was all about helping others. But he had to go through the trial. Okay, one more scripture to show you that there's a trial, a devil, and a focused victory in Jesus. Everybody knows this chapter, this scripture, but 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be self-controlled, be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion with teeth, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. What's that mean? Standing firm, cemented in the faith, cemented in the word, cemented with your focus on Jesus. Resist him how? It's not just like, no, firm in the faith. There's no faith unless there's word. You've got to have a focus on the word. And the word will give you something. You get in the Holy Spirit and you get in the presence of God and you get in the Bible. All at the same time, however you do it, get a living word. I don't care how you do it, but I want you to. God wants you to get a living word. And when you get a living word, hold on to that thing if it kills you because it will give you life. Hallelujah. The Bible says that he destroyed the works, he destroyed him that had the power of death. You know what? He has only destroyed him that had the power of death to the degree that we are dead to ourself. In other words, he made a way so we can go to heaven. If we're dead to self, we can go to heaven. If we aren't dead to self, we can't. If we're dead to self, we can win the victory. If we're not dead to self, we can't. I get to go to heaven. He destroyed the devil. To the degree that I'm dead to myself, he's destroyed the devil. To the degree that I'm not dead to myself, I'm out there just doing the devil's bidding. He's still got teeth. He hasn't destroyed him in the sense that he can't fight. He's destroyed him in the sense that he can't have me if I'm dead to myself. Hallelujah! Okay. There's a girl coming up pretty soon, young lady youth pastor's wife, and she's going to sing, and we're all going to come to the altar, right? You don't have to, but you want to. And uh, it's not yet, but it's coming. Because I want you to get a taste. She might sing the same song twice just to give you time to get in his presence. I'm so, my biggest prayer was, God, help us to get a, a, a refreshing. Help us to get new hope. Help us to know that our God is not a bad God. He's been beating on some of us so long for so hard. It's been like eight months, I'm thinking. I just, you know, I know what I've been going through. I've heard what some others have been going through. And he's beating us up. He ain't right. He has no right to do that. If we stand firm, he's got to back off. I'm going to show you how you're, you're called into the ministry here as I end this. When we're going through a trial... There's not just one attack going on. I just wrote a whole bunch of stuff that came to my heart. It's not just one attack going on. We have temptations all at the same time sometimes to give up, to be complacent, to wallow in shame. Shame? Instead of their shame, I will give them a double portion. That's not on, that can't be on the list. To doubt God, to doubt his good nature, to defend ourselves. We're tempted in all, all this stuff and all this quagmire, demonic activities coming all at once. To gossip, to lust. You know, I used to think it's okay to, to talk to my wife about certain individuals. I'm just about sure that it's never okay. It's just like the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to my wife. I'm thinking, well, she, I know she'll never tell nobody. But this certain person really messed with my heart today. It just made me feel lousy. 
just uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. My wife pretty much just ignores me when I start talking about anybody. And um, good wife, huh? And I used to think that's okay, but you know what? That's not okay. If I got a problem with somebody, one person, take, go one-on-one, -on -one, the Bible says. So we're tempted to gossip. When's that happen? That happens in your trial. We're tempted to lust. When's that happen? When you need relief, you're sick and tired of the fight, and you just want to, <laughs> I've lusted after cars. It's like, I need something more comfortable to sit in. You know, you see these guys, they look like they got it made. Most of them, if you knew about them well enough, they probably borrowed it all. You know, <laughs> you know some of them are making it, you know. But it's, uh, it's a temptation sometimes. When I get through the temptation, I'm so glad I didn't buy some high-priced thing, puts me in debt, puts me in all kinds of more temptation and trial. And then there's sexual lust. There's hate. All these things can be hitting at once. There's, we can sin in our anger. We can get bitter. We can get resentful. We can get proud. We can get revenge. We can wallow in our disappointments. Or we can just move on and worship Jesus. Yeah. That second fight when Job was all messed up so bad and his friends were telling him he's no good, his wife said, hey, you hold on to your, your integrity. Why don't you just curse God and die? Where'd you get that? Well, the, Bible, the devil said, you mess with Job and you take his skin and you take his health and you take practically everything except his last breath of life and he'll curse you. Well, the wife said, I'll oblige that. We'll go ahead and curse him. Why don't you curse him, Job? And Job said, should we accept good from God and not trouble? If God is God and God is good and God knows what he's doing, who am I to question it? I ain't so smart. He can be whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. If you have no weapons or anything and an 800-pound gorilla wants to sit next to you, where do you let him sit? God can do whatever he wants. And I'm, I'm all right with that. I like him. He's never proven wrong to me. He's never been unfaithful to me. He's always been late, but he's never been unfaithful. He comes four days late. And then I go, oh, okay, I understand now. With so many enemies, no wonder we need his mercy seat. What's the answer? If I could have Heather come up. What's the answer? What's the answer to prevent suicide in your life? His presence. What's the answer to prevent depression? His presence. What's the answer to hate? His presence. What's the answer to, to loneliness? His presence. But what's the devil trying to push on you? What's he trying to as he's raking you over the coals and he's yanking you back and forth, he's trying to get you to take relief, take a shortcut. He tried to get Jesus, you know, after the trial. Sometimes the trial is pretty much over, and that's when the devil can step in too. I found that to happen a lot of times. I think I got this thing whipped, and then the devil shows up, and I go and think, that's where I blow it, in my victory. He was, he, it said he was taken into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. And then when he got done being tempted, he went into a powerful ministry. But for 40 days, it didn't say, just say one day. It said for 40 days as you read the Gospels. He was tempted for 40 days. And then it said he got through all that, fine. And then the devil came. After that, it says the devil came. And it says he tempted him to make the, he said, why don't you make them rocks into bread? You're hungry. Well, his father didn't tell him to do that. You don't do what the devil tells you, even if it's no big deal. It's a big deal to listen to the devil. If he gets to tell you what to do, you're all of a sudden in the, under the wrong authority. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said, I'll listen to God. I'm not listening to you. And that was after the trial. And then it says, after two more tests right there, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. He'd say the word of God. You guys know the story. And then it says the angels came and ministered to him. And it says in Peter here, I didn't read it all, but at the end of that being Roman about roaring lion stuff, at the end of that, it says, and then he will, after you've suffered a little while, he'll make you strong, steadfast, unmovable. He'll make you firm. Go through the trial. He'll make you firmer than you've ever been. You go through things like a whiz in some of this after that. I had one more note, but I don't see it, so we'll just go to... Yeah, we're going to end. Guess what? I have some really, really good stuff that I'm not going to tell you. I, I, I'm going to try to say it without reading it, but you need to read it. Isaiah 49 and Isaiah 50. It's all one context. And it says, I, I, 
I, I'm waking morning by morning and I hear the word of the Lord. He's given me an instructed tongue to help the weary. He's given you guys tongue to help the weary. But you know what it says right after that? It says, but I've given my back to the, those that beat me. And it talks about Jesus dying. And we're to be like Jesus. And we go through that. And it says, but I wasn't rebellious. I listened to the word and I gave it out anyway. The devil doesn't want you to give the word out to somebody. We've got to look at that. Let's look at that. Uh, Isaiah 50. I'm, I'm skipping 49, but look at Isaiah 50. This is just too good. Please read this again at home. 50, um, verse, last part of it, well, verse 4. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to, this, to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. In other words, I'm going to give this word out that he gave me. I have not drawn back. I offered my back, even though somebody wanted to beat me up on the back. They wanted to pull out my beard. I didn't hide my face from the mocking and spitting. The word that he gave me, I'm giving to others. The word that he gave me, I'm going to give it out. I'm not hiding from that, the, the mockery and the spitting and the pain. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. I'm going to come through this thing. It says, therefore, I've set my face like flint. What did we say? When we're going through a trial, you fix your eyes, you cement your eyes, you cement your thoughts on Jesus. And it says here, um, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. I've set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. How often have you felt shame? Think about it next time you feel it. There's a place to go with that stuff. Take it to Jesus. And I, and I wish we could teach on that right now. He vindicates me the near. Who will bring any charge? Do you see this? You see the fight he's going through? Right when he gets an instructed word, right when he gets called into ministry. Jesus, Jesus was called into ministry. Jesus was called into the ministry. And he had to go through the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And... Because he was faithful to the one that appointed him, as it said in Hebrews, because he was faithful in all the things that God said to do, he heard God's voice, he was instructed morning by morning, he got the word, and he was faithful. God, it says he came out of that desert in the power of the Holy Ghost and began his ministry. How would you like to really begin meaningful ministry? But look what, look what, hits, look what hits when you do. I read part of it. It says, who will accuse me? So not only is there shame coming after you just because you're doing the right thing, because you heard from God, all of a sudden you're getting all kinds of troubles. It said, he that vindicates me is near. I'm not going to be put to shame. Who then will bring charges against me? Who's going to condemn me? Let us face each other. Let us face each other. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm not afraid of you, devil. Who's going to condemn me? Who is my accuser? Well, guess what? He does it through Job's wife. He does it through people close to you. He does it through spiritual people. I remember one time in a church when I was younger in the Lord, quite a bit younger in the Lord, about maybe five years in the Lord. I was in worship and just praising him, and, and uh, I was getting free. God was talking to me, and all of a sudden, the, you know, they did the Catholic church type thing where you, after you sing a song or so, you, you go and say, peace be with you, and you say, how's it going and everything. And some spiritual that I thought was a spiritual lady come up to me and said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong about all this stuff. Here I was getting free, getting the presence of the Lord, and she's telling me I'm louse. Why? Because I was hearing from God, that's why. The devil's going to use people close to you when you're hearing from God to try to stop you from going into that freedom. Ah, let my accuser confront me. I'm believing what I heard in my spirit, man. It's inside farther than anybody else can speak, and I'm not going to listen when you speak out here. It's from the inside out. He spoke to my spirit, and I'm sticking with it. If it doesn't make any sense to the natural man, it doesn't have to. I've found him to be true. Then it goes down here and it says, he that vindicates me near, who's going to charge me? Face each other. Who's my accuser? Let him confront me. It's the sovereign Lord that helps me, so get out of the way. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment, and the moths will eat them up. And then this is that verse I told you earlier. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his word? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord. You obey his word, guess what? All of a sudden the lights go out because the dark world tells you you're wrong. You obey his word and the lights go out. Get a hold of Jesus. Get a hold of Jesus and say, who's my accuser? Bring it on. Bring it on. I'm not backing down. I've done this in my own life. I've experienced it to a degree that I can't have time to tell you right now. But I'm telling you what, 
It works to not back down. It works to stay in freedom. God can restore and put you in the ministry he wants you in. And I want you in ministry because I know there's people in this church that have ministered to me and can minister to me that are not now ministering to me. And it was such a blessing when they were. Don't back down in your trials. Go forward. Stay where God put you and don't listen to any voice except the living word of God when it's alive to your spirit. Hallelujah! Anyway, he's got a place of mercy for us. Some of us have been pulled through the rat hole a few times, uh, snapped with a few traps. I don't know. You've just been all kind of depressed, oppressed, and beat up. And if you haven't, you will if you decide to walk with Jesus. All I'm telling you, to get, some, get a load of concrete, set your eyes in concrete, your thoughts on Jesus. You'll be okay. You're the one that said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. And you did the right thing. It's the right way. And it's exciting and it's fun. Just get through the trial. It doesn't have to last so long. If you just go through it, don't stay in there. They tried that 40 years in the desert. Could have been so much quicker. Hallelujah. There's a mercy seat. Folks, just come up and just talk to God for a moment at least. Or maybe 10 moments. She might sing this 10 times if there's enough desire and hunger. I don't doubt it. I know her. Okay. She's going to sing mercy seat. There's a place. There's a place. In the darkness. In the darkness. Yeah, um, thanks a lot, Mark. This is a song that came out of the Brownsville Revival in the 90s, um, and it blessed a lot of people. So I hope it blesses you guys too. Sing along if you know it. Everything is unknown I face the power of sin on my own I did not know of a place I could go Where I could find a way to heal my wounded soul He said that I could come to his presence without fear into the holy place where his mercy hovers See ha 